I would encourage you to go to the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 17. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. I titled the sermon today, Spectacular Mercy and Grateful Adoration. Spectacular Mercy and Grateful Adoration. Uh, Spectacular text, really, to study together, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'd like to just open in prayer and then dive into these verses, if you would join me. Lord, now as we come to your word, we... We delight to to feed our souls with this living word, this bread from heaven, this inspired book, Lord, preserved and handed down true and trustworthy, authoritative in our lives, confirmed and, and understood through the illuminating work of your spirit. Oh, Father, what a treasure we have. We thank you that these words are ordained for us today to bless us, to build us, to to strengthen us, to to call us forward in our walk with you, to make us more like your son, Jesus. Oh, Father, I pray that the effect of these words would be real, that, that even this week, as we walk through this week, these words would linger and echo in our hearts and that we would be more grateful, a more grateful people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter 17, verse 11. Uh, I titled the, the first part of this, uh, Ten Cry Out for Mercy. So Jesus is, is moving through, and we left off last week with a kind of a mini parable that he told, and uh, now we're moving into a real account. So these, these events actually took place, and uh, verse 11, we pick up the story. On the way to Jerusalem... Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, uh, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, so here's a few verses to consider, a few things just to, to think about. So this is Galilee up here, okay, and Samaria is down here. Now, you remember, faithful Jews would never pass through Samaria. And so the customary route, if you're going to Jerusalem from Galilee, is to cross the Jordan and then make your way down on this side, uh, down in the Perea area, and then cross again, maybe down here, and come across to Jericho, which is where Jesus will make his way through as he makes his final trip to Jerusalem for the Passion of the Christ. And, uh, and to accomplish his work. Now, the mention here is significant. Luke says, as he was going to Jerusalem. So this is the third mention of this, and this is the final mention. J- Jesus has set his face, he is heading. Now, his, his course has gone all over the place as he has taught, but we are nearing now these, these significant days of fulfillment of Jesus' ministry. And so you can picture him heading south along the edge of the Jordan. There's, there's really a lot of wasteland out here, not a lot happening. Um, and then in, into this area down here. So somewhere down in here, he comes into a very small village. And this is the setting. You have 10 men who have leprosy. They're outside the village because they're required to be outside the village. They're not allowed in because of the the fear that others would catch what they have. And in this day, Bible times leprosy was just horrific. It was it was so, it was deadly. 
in many cases, people would get it and they would just uh, go down and down and down, get worse and worse and worse until death. They're calling from a distance. Now, one of the challenges, and we'll look more at the effects of leprosy soon, but one of the challenges of leprosy is it affects your entire body. And even just raising your voice to proclaim is difficult. Um, so they're, they're calling from a distance, and what they would have been calling, according to Leviticus, the commands in Leviticus 13, is they had to cover their top lip, and they had to say, unclean, unclean. But in addition to these words, as they, they warn whoever is coming, they warn, unclean, these men together, they, they shout out to Jesus. They see him. Jesus! Master! Over here! Jesus! Have mercy on us! Now, you've got to enter into the plight of these men, the situation that they're in. It is very, very awful. It's a miserable existence. The range of skin diseases in Bible times uh, included Hansen's disease, which we, we know now as, as, as leprosy. <clears throat> there was no cure for this in that day. Uh, what happens is you lose sensory in your face and your limbs and your internal tissues the problem is, is that you don't know when you're in pain. You can't feel pain. And so the numbness leads to all kinds of disfiguring. And uh, some of you will remember when in Luke chapter 5, Jesus dealt with a, a man who was filled with leprosy. All the way, that was over a year ago that we covered that. Uh, so I want to remind us of some of these things. One man described this as a painless hell. It's a painless hell in the sense that you just, you take these, these senses for granted because they protect your body. When you don't have them, you can end up, you know, breaking a finger or, or having a deep cut and not even know it. And, and that leads to all kinds of problems, open wounds and, and uh, foul issues, mutilated from head to foot. As these wounds took place, uh, the, the, they would just continue to get worse and people would be in, in terrible condition physically. Spiritually, they were barred from worship, and so they were uh, perpetually unclean, um, not just physically, but also spiritually. They were unable to work. They were forced to beg, and in that, they were separated out from everyone else. They were completely dependent upon handouts. So if you had a family member who was a leper uh, you would go and leave food at a specific location, but you couldn't really interact with him for fear of catching this, this deadly disease. Hmm. They were treated as highly contagious, kept far from family, uh, scorned as sinners who were judged by God. Now, we must say, in the Bible, there were multiple examples of, of the Lord uh, judging someone with leprosy, right? However, Everyone that has leprosy is not necessarily in that camp, right? You can't just conclude, well, that person must have sinned greatly, therefore they have leprosy. Uh, but in this day, it was a commonly held belief. If you have leprosy, you must be a great sinner, therefore you're to be scorned. And so help was hard to come by. In fact, it was illegal to greet a leper. Some would even throw rocks to keep them away. To the rabbis, they understood leprosy as, as basically a death sentence. And, and the cure, to, to see someone cured from leprosy 
was as impressive or difficult as raising someone from the dead. And so here are not just one man, as in Luke 5. We've got 10 men. It's a, it's a small leper colony here. They're surviving together. They're bound together in misery. And they're crying out for mercy. In Leviticus 13, the Lord gives instructions for protection of his people, very specific things. In fact, we're going to be covering Leviticus as we go through this book um, in the fall. Um, Listen to what he says. A leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as the disease, as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, this was given by the Lord in a, in a medical uh, sense to protect others from the spread of this disease. These men are in terrible condition. They have uh, a bleak experience on life, and really, if things don't change, uh, it's not long. Uh, they're, they're on a downward spiral. And so they're there, and they begin to cry out. Now, What's fascinating is they raise their voices together and they cry to the master. They call him master. Jesus, master. Oh, that's a spectacular thing to hear. He is, in fact, the master of mercy. They're crawling out to just the right person, are they not? Maybe they have heard what he can do. Maybe as the crowds have have shared all of that he's done, maybe in Luke 5, That man, remember who he, he couldn't be quiet. He just kept telling everybody. Maybe they heard what had happened to that man. And so they look to Jesus and they believe he can do it. That's the one to cry out to. Hmm. So 10 cry out for mercy. Verse 14, 10 receive miraculous mercy. Listen to how this verse goes. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, what's weird is it, this kind of defies what you expect Jesus to say. I mean, we've been journeying in, in Luke for a, you know, a long time now. You have this kind of instinct that Jesus would say something like, um, you know, I will be clean, like he said to the leper in Luke 5. If you will, you can make me clean. Oh, I will be clean. Some kind of pronouncement, or at least to reach out and, and, and touch the men touch their eyes or touch their 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 hurting limbs nothing of that happens here there's no touch there there's no even pronouncement of jesus it's a very strange thing that he does unexpected he simply gives the command go and show yourselves to the priest now this is the 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 hard part to hear a command like this from jesus if you're a leper You're thinking, well, I mean, eventually we'll do that, but first we have to be healed, right? You have to self-diagnose a healing before you have the courage to stand in front of a priest and say, I don't have leprosy. And Jesus just cuts straight to that. He puts the cart ahead of the horse, and he says, you guys go ahead and go show yourselves to the priest. And you can imagine the confusion that would have gone through these ten lepers. Um, Oh, what do you mean? Right now? Isn't there something more you need to do? Are you supposed to dip in the Jordan or, you know, mud? Something? Just go? 
That's all he says. That's all he says. Hmm. Jesus gives these men an opportunity to have faith in him. A, a faith that's not just, I believe, but a faith that, that walks it out, right? A, a faith that is willing to take steps and move, like Abraham. Abraham, I, I choose you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I want you to go to, to the place I'm going to show you. You mean right now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm, I'm going. I, I don't know where that is, but I'm walking. Exactly. That's right. These men were to go and show themselves to the priest. And so I, I imagine there was a bit of conversation taking place here. Well, guys, I don't know. I mean, this is Jesus. We should probably just do what he says, right? I mean, why would we not give this a go? Well, it's, Jerusalem is a long way away. How are we supposed to walk there? Look at us, man. No, but we should do this. We should do, so they, they work it out and they agree, okay, let's go. So the 10 lepers. Now, again, you've got to picture what this would look like. They can barely stand. They're hobbling along. They, they are an absolute mess. And they decide, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the priests. And they began to walk and head out. And as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that interesting? As they walked it out, as their faith took action, as they, they trusted Jesus in his word and they walked in faith, they were healed. Hmm. I want you to try to imagine what this might have been like. You're walking along with these people that you are united in misery with and, and you know them well and they're suffering and they know you well and you're, you're just hobbling along and, and the pace must have been terribly slow. And then all of a sudden, Bill looks over to Frank and says, hey Frank, your ear, what happened? It's back. And Frank's like, no, no. Oh, it is there. Now, he couldn't have done that because he probably couldn't have felt in his hand. Then he would have looked at his hand. I, I felt that, right? I We're talking the healing of these lepers is not just, you know, clean up a, a little bit here and their hair gets combed. It, it's like appendages are appearing. Ears are coming back. Fingers that are missing are now there. They are being healed as they walk. And all of a sudden, Joe looks down at his foot, and he's like, well, look at my toes. I have toes again. And he begins to wiggle. Look at, guys, look at my toes. Look at this. And then just think what this would be like. It spreads through all of these guys. And eventually, they're leaping for joy with legs strong and balance and muscles that are remade. This is a full healing. Jesus doesn't do halfway work. These men have been radically healed. Imagine what it would have sounded like. Men who were basically dead men walking are now living men set free from this horrible ravaging disease with physical bodies that are robust and strong. They would have been dancing and shouting and hugging and high-fiving or whatever, you know, back then that they did like that fist bumping and who knows, somersaults. Hmm. 
the joy of these men is hard to fathom. We, we struggle to even put ourselves into this moment for these men. These ten men share this experience together. Let's continue. Verse 15. Ten cry out for mercy. Ten receive miraculous mercy. But only one returns to worship. Only one returns to worship. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, again, he's, he's looking at his, his, his body and is healed. He turned back to where they had been walking from. And he began praising the Lord, praising God with a loud voice, and he, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then the little note here that Luke adds, uh, now he was a Samaritan. Okay, in the mix of the ten, there's a foreigner, a Samaritan. Remember the Samaritans, right? The most despised in all of it, the traitors. Those who had replaced the temple with a corrupt and abominable temple on Mount Gerizim. They, they, they were the ones who, who had corrupted all of these things. They were seen as, as half-breeds. They even rejected some of the, the Scripture. And this man was united in misery with these Jews. And their union was in their suffering. And then they were healed, and, and something specific happened. Something spectacular took place. He turned back while the others continued on, jumping and laughing and praising and running we assume, toward Jerusalem. The return of the Samaritan is spectacular. It is a display of a man who is simply overcome by gratitude. He, he has this tremendous, overwhelming gratitude. He's praising God. He, he wants to go back to the source. He wants to, to tap into this, this relationship, this man who healed him. He wants him to, to, to know his gratitude for what he's done. If you're a disciple of Jesus and Jesus is continuing down the road <clears throat> and, and all of a sudden you hear this man running and running and skipping and jumping and shouting, he comes up, comes close, and, and you're backing away. Like, well, hold on, wait a second. Just a second ago, this man was contagious. He was a leper. And he falls at Jesus' feet, praising God. It says praising God with a loud voice. The, the Greek here is extremely loud. This man was not restrained at all. Uh, the word is phones megales. We would get our, our idea of megaphone from this. His voice was so loud with praise to God. It didn't matter. He wanted everybody to know what had happened. And note this. When Jesus healed the leper in Luke 5, <clears throat> do you remember that he told him, don't tell anybody? Be quiet about this. It was not time yet for everybody to hear. In this situation, not even a word like that. This man is praising God. He's giving thanks to Jesus. He's on his knees. And Jesus is like, that's just right. That's just right. That's the response that we're looking for. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, 
giving him thanks. Jesus would not have recoiled. Maybe the disciples did, but Jesus was there. And here is a man overwhelmed with gratitude. Hmm. It would have caused a great scene. All those that were following Jesus, they would have been amazed at this. They, they would have seen this man just recently, all puffy, all hunched over, now a, a man in perfect health before their eyes. Now, Jesus says something that is, is fascinating here. Jesus answered, and he, he asked these questions. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Hmm. Jesus is, you could say, disappointed in the response of the nine. He's aware that all of these men were cleansed. Every single leper in that little colony, all ten were cleansed and healed. But only one returned. One return to give praise to God. And, and I think it's important here to note this. There is a, a, a divine uh, statement in Christ's words. He is stating the praise that is being given in the return as he kneels at my feet is praise given to God. That's a statement of Christ and his divinity. Another claim that Jesus, in fact, is God himself. Delighting in the gifts and ignoring the giver. Now, lest we're too hard on these nine, friends, we're prone to this. It is very easy for us to say, oh, we love the gifts that God gives and just be obsessed with the gifts and, and forget to look up and consider the one who gave the gifts. In fact, I, I remember when our kids were really little, just kind of drilling them over and over as we got closer and closer to Christmas. Now, here's the deal, guys. When, when you're opening presents, there's a lot going on. I want you to stop. I want you to lock eyes, find out who gave you that present, and do what? Say thank you. Thank you. Now, what is that? What is, what is that? It's gratitude. It's gratitude. There, there's something in us that is, that is just, it bubbles out. And it's right for us to, to find the source and, and address that source with our joy. Only one did. The giver deserves the gratitude. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. God has given this grace, and this grace came through me, Jesus says. I'm the one who, who, who brought this to you. And so every reason exists for those nine to come back and say thank you, to praise God here. But they didn't come. So he says to the foreigner, to the, the, the Samaritan, he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, here's a bit of a, of, of a translation problem. I, I struggle with the translation here in the ESV and a few others. You might have a translation that says, uh, your faith has saved you. Sozo is the word. That, that word is translated overwhelmingly salvation. It's a saving word, a word of salvation. That's the word used here. It's not just your faith has cured you of the leprosy. 
Jesus says something far more than that to this man. Your faith has saved you, or literally brought you salvation. Something happens here as this man, in adoration, worships God and gives thanks and praise to Jesus Christ. You could say it this way. Ten were healed, but only one was saved. Ten were healed. Ten experienced this lavish gift of God's mercy and grace, but only one experienced the transformation of death to life inside, in Christ alone. One returned to the giver to say thank you, to lock eyes, to understand the relationship is actually more valuable than the, the gift. It's, it's the person that matters most. Hmm. I just want to consider a little bit what this concept of gratitude is because even from an early age as a, as a young man, I remember my parents teaching me this and then as a, as a father and, and mother teaching our children what this looks like and why it's so important. And I just have to ask the question, is it just cultural? I mean, is it just social acceptability that we do this, express our gratitude? What is this? I wanted to dig a little deeper, and so I, I found this as I studied, and I thought, oh, it's too good. We've, we've got we've to have this in our mind as we think about gratitude and thanks. It's our duty and our delight. It is our duty. The, the work of gratitude is our duty, and I'll just say canopy. The reason for that is because God is worthy. He is worthy of our praise and our thanks and our, and our gratitude forever. But it's also our delight, our opportunity. Consider this. John Piper said it this way. Gratitude is not merely a response of joy to a benefit received. It has special reference to the goodwill of another person. A person whose joy centers only on the gift received with no sense of joy in the goodwill of the giver we call ungrateful. Okay, so let's just say, I'm at Christmas, and I'm unwrapping a present, and I see the present, and I'm like, sweet, this is awesome, I love it, and I grab it, and I run off. No thought of the giver who gave me the gift. What would you consider me? Well, I'm I'm happy in the gift, but I'm failing miserably to show gratitude. I am ungrateful in that moment, not because I don't like the gift, but because I fail to express a a value to the goodwill of the giver. Piper goes on to say this. So gratitude, if we were going to define it, this is a great definition. Gratitude is a species of joy. It's It's a bubbling up of joy, a kind of joy which arises in response to the goodwill of someone who does or at least tries to do for us something good. This joy has an impulse to express the value of that goodwill. Do you hear that? that that's, that's huge. It'll help you understand that the function, the nature of expressing gratitude both to God and to others. So when someone does something that is kind or to bless me, or something good to me, a response that is right is to say thank you. That meant so much. 
I see what you have done there. You have given. You, have, you, you, you purposed to bless me, and it, I, I, I value that. I want you to know I value that. I don't just value what you did. I value the heart with which you did it. Now think of this. Uh, the, the story is told of a man who gives his life to get medicine to a remote village. In the process of delivering this medicine, he contracts a terrible disease and ends up dying as a result. Now, the medicine makes it to the village. The problem is, it's the wrong medicine. Now, the people there, are they grateful for what that man did? Even if the gift didn't accomplish what was intended, what is their gratitude sourced in? It's the goodwill of the giver. The man who gave his life to get them saving help, even if it's, it's not accomplished, he laid his life down for them. And so their gratitude is rightly placed. They esteem the, 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 the goodwill of the man who laid his life down to get them that medicine. So when we think about gratitude, I want to just think about it this way. When someone does something for you, Mention it. Bring it up. Catch it. Notice it. And appreciate it. Appreciate it. Speak words. That meant so much, right? That we have been the recipients of so much love from this congregation. Even just recently, we know these people come and help us move. And here's what I'm feeling as we're moving all this stuff. And it's total chaos. And I'm kind of embarrassed because there was way more in my garage than I even ever imagined. You know, right? And, 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 but who cares? We're here. We're together. I'll tell you what I felt. I felt loved. I felt part of a family. I felt like you were so kind to give hours of your day and inconvenience your schedule to help me move to my house. And so I, I pray and I purposed in these things to person by person make sure you knew that. I I esteem that. I esteem the goodwill of that act. I don't just appreciate that we moved. You see the difference? It's communicating to the person. What you did mattered to me. I see it. I esteem. I put value on that goodwill. Hmm. Now think about the Lord. Think of what he's done. For God so loved the world... He loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish in their sins, rightfully and justly, but, but be saved and given everlasting life because Jesus took the wrath on our behalf. How do we honor that? How do we esteem that? Well, one way we do that is by speaking our delight in it. Our joy is expressed when we sing, when we, when we share, when we testify. This is what he did. He saved me. Friends, that's why the church sings. That's why we will always sing. Here's another way we honor that, is by embracing the fruit of what it has accomplished. In Christ, we're set free from sin. We're given power to obey. We're called to live holy and to glorify God. One of the ways we esteem and value the goodwill of God 
is just that way. We obey him. It's not just our duty. It's our delight. We live for him. We want to glorify him. We want people to know what he's done. That's gratitude. Gratitude. We talked in Sunday school about the difference between the debtor's ethic, right? Our, our job is not to try to repay God for what he's done. That's not why we obey. That's not why we, we, we give ourselves to the work of, of his glory and his gospel. We will never repay the Lord, and it's wrong to try. He has given a gift to us, not so that we will, will owe him and repay him, but so that we'll delight in that free gift and honor him from the heart, to glorify him, to make much of him. Gratitude is a species of joy which arises in response to the goodwill of someone who does or tries to do for us something good. This joy has an impulse to express the value of that goodwill. Christians are a grateful people. We are to be a grateful people. In fact, one of the ways that we can spot maturity in the Christian life is to ask, how grateful am I? How grateful am I? How would the people around me that live near me say, I'm doing there? If you are a grumbling, griping, complaining dissatisfied, discontented person, your spiritual walk is struggling. Your maturity in Christ is called to grow. You have to grow. You have to pray, Lord, make me a grateful person. Help me count my many blessings and name them one by one, right? Grateful people are Christian people. That's, that's, that's a synonym of carrying the name of Christ. Look at what he's done for us to be grateful. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Does that blow your mind? Is there anything in this life that can outweigh that? It can't. Nothing can take this away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So grateful people we are called to be. This kind of joy is the kind of joy that circumstances cannot take from us. It's a gratitude that's grounded. It's fixed. It's firm. It's not fading. It's not shaking or changing. A grateful people. So our response this morning, just a few questions. I want you to consider grace and gratitude. Grace and gratitude. These men received grace. They received mercy. They were, they were blessed beyond imagination. But only one expressed gratitude to the giver of that grace. One rightfully and, and, and without any... Uh, holding back. He, 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 he released that expression of gratitude to the Lord. Are we the kind of people who have received? Absolutely we are. We have. We have. In fact, the entire county can say this. 
We have been the recipients of God's incredible, lavish mercy and grace. The fact that we are not currently just in the fires of hell right now is enough to stir our hearts to say thank you. Common grace, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? The sun shines on us all. We have every reason to express our gratitude. And one of the, one of the signs of depravity is, right, in Romans 1, they neither acknowledged God nor gave thanks to Him. You see how significant gratitude is? It's one of the most signifying signs of depravity. All the more those who have tasted of the miraculous grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have every reason to be grateful, every reason to sing His praise, every reason to speak of this great love that has so radically changed us, every reason to honor Him and the value of His goodwill by obeying Him from the heart. And so the endless praise of an all-worthy God, the endless praise of an all-worthy God. You know, so, someone asked me one time, why is it that Christians sing so much? It was a fascinating question. I grew up in the church. It's normal to me. Of course we sing. It's what we do. No, but, but why? Why? That's why. Because of Grace because of the gift, because of the gospel, because of all that he has done for us, how could we not sing and express this joy? It's never going to end. We need forever to express this praise because he is so worthy and he has loved us so. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we come and ready to sing once again, we acknowledge that there are times in our lives that we fail to be great, grateful and to express the gratitude that we ought. Thank you for your patience with us in this. Our hearts are fickle and so easily distracted, so easily just moved and shifted from locking eyes with you. Father, I pray that you would, in your good and, and, and lavish grace, stir in us a deep and abiding gratitude that would, would show up in lives of holiness and, and joy, that it wouldn't just be duty, but it would be delight, that our relationship with you would, would be built upon the bridge of gratitude from our hearts, that, that our prayers would be so overwhelmed with gratitude as we pray that you would be blessed and honored. And we would esteem the goodwill that you have loved us, that you have saved us, that you have brought us out of the dark and into the light. You have set our feet upon the rock. You have given us a, a, a hope and a future, a family. Lord, not only in your direction, but, but make us a grateful people for one another. When someone brings a meal, Lord, I pray that, that we would be quick to just express our appreciation for the goodwill of that kind display. When someone gives a hand to help or, or comes along aside and, and, and prays to encourage, to bless, Lord, help us to be quick to, to speak words of gratitude for your glory, 
for that kindness that we have received. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who would be so defined by this that the world would just think we're weird, that they wouldn't understand this kind of gratitude that just flows up in joy, and that they would even wonder, what is it that those people have? They're so grateful. They're so thankful. They're, they're just overflowing with gratitude. May it point to you, glorify you, and be used by you to make more grateful people that will sing your praise forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.